have a positive mindset. Well, my next guest, Marcus Tomlinson, started the process to give up his negative mindset at the age of 30. And now his mindset revolution has helped people across the globe reset to positivity. We talk about mindsets and why we behave the way that we do, from fear to joy, from doing something positive to being involved in gang crime. Marcus is also a speaker and before the pandemic was at a peace conference in Pakistan. So let's find out more. Welcome to Tea Time with me, Ali Monja. Marcus, how are you today? I am fantastic, Ali. Thank you very much for asking. Really good. Well, of course you are because you're Mr. Mindset Coach. So have you been having an interesting week? It's been fascinating. We've had a week of sailing, high winds, um, some really good time with some clients. Uh, I'm very excited. I had three Google reviews on the trot this week, which is, and they were all nice, which was great. Uh, super busy. I know what is going on. And, you know, you've, you've kind of, like the rest of us, gone back into the outside world a little bit now because, you know, we're, we're no longer confined to our office space or our home space. So um, how are you finding that? I just love human contact. I think most of us, you know, we're, we're tribal, we're, we're a social species. And I was seeing a client, you know, a client face to face in a meeting room this morning and walking around with other people, seeing each other. And it's just that nice vibe of, of being around more positive energy and seeing people going about their, their kind of more normal business and 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 not being hidden behind masks, quite literally, which is not good for, I know we have to do it for medical reasons, but for, for mental health and well-being, it's it's a really bad thing. So, oh, it's joyous just being back uh, amongst other positive, happy human beings. Absolutely. Cheers. I'll drink to that. Yeah, um, me too, yeah. yeah. I'll my, my neat vodka up there, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, glad to hear it. So, um. I mean, life hasn't always been so calm for you, has it? I mean, your life completely changed in the last five years, really. Well, yeah, it changed. It's had steps of change. And what was interesting was about five years ago, I started sharing my, what I call my unique and refreshingly challenging childhood. Um and although I've been in this space for ages, I, I didn't ever think anyone's interested in, in what happened to me growing up um, because I, I just never thought I was that interesting. And I'm not sure I am now, but the change in how people relate to it has meant that, you know, I discovered that everyone's got a story. You know, so many people are fighting battles we know nothing about, carrying stuff around and what was really liberating for me was to be able to talk about what happened you know, various events in my childhood sort of landmark events and how i was able to use them as an enabler as opposed to turn it into a poor me process which i did for a while for about 10 years i took all of the stuff that happened and i used to walk around as a really angry young man and i would revel in if anyone started telling stories about their childhood or the challenges, I would go, really? Well, let you tell me. And I was proud that I'd always win those conversations as if it was some weird badge of dishonour, you know? Um, so, yeah, the fact of turning it round into a much more positive, wow, you know, despite all of this stuff, 
I've been able to get to a great headspace and turn it into what I can do, not why it holds me back, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And, you know, it, it's a really positive thing that you've done in life. And, you know, as, as I always say, positivity breeds positivity. So, oh, yeah. you know, just just for the listeners, because this is really quite uh, an interesting story, as you're quite right, everybody has a story. Um, so what happened in your childhood and your connections to certain bands of people? So I'll, I'll give you some highlights. Um, would you like to hear about the first time I was blown up or the second time I was blown up by the age of seven is a, a cheeky opener I often do. And quite simply, we lived in Northern Ireland in a time euphemistically called the Troubles. And so it was from the age of about four till seven. Um, and basically when I was about, it's one of my earliest memories was going on a bus into Belfast and there was a car bomb. And it was close enough that when it exploded, the, the bus kind of shook and, and we saw all the kind of carnage. And I particularly remember a the thing that sticks in my mind was a, a plimsoll trainer, we now call it, but back in those days, more like a plimsoll. And there was a just a foot in it. You know, there was not the rest of the body. And what was really weird about that, apart from all the obvious things that were weird about that, was how white and clean that plimsoll was. That's what stuck in my mind. Not, oh my God, there's someone's foot because I wasn't able to process that. But that was the first thing, and there was all the stuff that was going on around me, but I seemed somehow protected by that memory of a, a really clean shoe. Then, um, less than two years later, um, we lived in the ground floor, um, sorry, we lived on the top floor of a four-story building, ground floor was a cafe, two floors above were where my mother worked in a hairdressing salon, we lived above, we were an English family, the IRA chose to firebomb the cafe downstairs, uh, she was out. She was often absent, my dear mother, out gallivanting, uh, as she often was. But you know, police, ambulance, fire, but more than important, the army turned up. And I was rescued by some army men. And I was taken in a blanket in the back of an army Land Rover and taken to a hotel and given this fabulous fresh orange with a little glacé cherry on the top, things I've never had in my life before. And that was my takeaway memory was, hey, i got to hang out with the army. Not, I've just been blown up if that makes sense. I wasn't physically harmed in any way. So I, you know, those were two little snapshots of, of stuff that happened. And then the, two of the other key stories I tell is about when the time um, my mother was an alcoholic pretty much all my life and I was washing up one day and she, I walked in and she was just quite drunk doing the washing up. She asked me to move something in the kitchen, big tent, same size as me, picked it up. It was really too heavy and I kind of dropped it. She thought I dropped it in anger and she was washing up a carving knife at the time and she turned around and shouted at me and kind of threw the carving knife which went doing like a almost cartoon style in the in the door behind me. And as you can imagine, it didn't endear me anymore to my mother and she was obviously very upset. But that was another thing that you can take. Oh, my mother this, my mother that. Um, and then the final thing, and I'm parent, there's, there's lots more, but the final thing of some of the stories, and I usually tell this story, by the way, as three little boys, but I don't tell people it's all me. Uh, anyway, the, 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 the third of the stories is about, I grew up with no father, never met my father. He left when I was 18 months old. Mm. What you've never had, you've never missed. It's kind of all right. Uh, mother always had these mysterious stories, never really told me the truth about anything. She, you know, I'm not sure she could remember half the time. Anyway, I get this amazing job at the age of 16, and the guy who's assigned to me as a mentor, it was like in a, 
a upmarket curry selling hi-fi and all sorts of cool stuff. He was about three years older. Poor guy had really bad eczema. I mean, covered it on his face and his arms everywhere. When he got stressed, it got worse. And he would never speak about his mother. It was like a real taboo subject. Anyway, somehow, me not having a father, him not having a mother, we became mates, we'd go out for beers, became socially friends, all was cool. Fast forward to my 18th birthday and I'm handed an envelope by my mother and in it are some newspaper cuttings about my father. And it tells this story of how he ran away with a local pub landlord's wife and driving up the motorway, a bit drunk, the pair of them, there was an awful crash and she was killed. It was horrible. And so, you know, that's that's not, not a nice thing to read anyway. But as I read on, I find out that the woman who's blooming killed in this horrible incident is none other than the mother of my best friend and mentor at my new job and how we came together over time and space. It was just like the freakiest thing. You know, this is, what, 18 years after the event. And so how the universe brought us together, if you put that plot in EastEnders, they'd probably say it's too far-fetched. And we had to go through this whole thing. Now, the reason for, for getting to that point was then, other, because of other stuff that had happened, because this was quite public and, and there was other people involved, kind of counsellors and therapists got involved to come along and say to me, oh, um, you know, you must feel terrible. You must feel abused. You must feel betrayed and sad. And actually, I was going, well, you know, I'm all right. It's weird. And I guess it's not normal, but it's all I've ever known. And, and I'm kind of OK. They went, no, 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 you're not OK. You must feel angry, abused, mistrust. And eventually I listened to these grown-up people who were very clever and they had the best intentions, but I said, yes, you're right. So I became angry and felt abused and let down and all these other things. And I carried this badge of anger, this poor me thing around with me for at least 10 years until nearly my 30th birthday when I'd, I'd use that and other stories to as an excuse if I wasn't achieving in a certain way and... Um, and then I realised, well, what am I doing? I was sent for much more positive kind of coaching and had some interactions with my doctor said, you're so stressed, by the way, my doctor, that if you don't stop what you're doing, you'll be dead within two years. That was a wake-up call. And he got me meditating and doing some really crazy stuff that I thought was bonkers, but he saved my life. And I started going into more positive ways of thinking, understanding coaching, the power of the mind, and all this sort of great stuff. And, and I was able to get back to almost the state when I was 18 before I took on the angry mantle. Now, I'm, I've condensed a whole lifetime into a few words there, but it's just to give people, the listeners, you know, this understanding that I, I was okay, and then I chose to be not okay, and then I was allowed to choose to be okay again. And that's the key to all this. That's how mindset works. And, and that's why I've now dedicated my life to helping other people go, let's find what's okay and get you out of what's holding you back. It's interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, therapy, I mean, mental health issues and talking about mental health has come a long way. And, you know, we're now in a situation where we are able to talk about our mental health and, you know, things that that we, you know, have experienced without feeling so much as we shouldn't feel like that. Um, but, it, but it's interesting that, you know, therapy is thrown at lots of people now i'm not saying that you shouldn't have therapy i'm not saying that one bit but you know as soon as people start to put things into your mind you kind of take them on board don't you yeah i think you do 
um, I, I try and encourage people to, to embrace the philosophy, we are what we think about the most. And uh, I, I've, I've studied, so I'm not a qualified psychologist, but I did go to university to study psychology. I've studied this for years. And I've worked with so many psychologists and therapists. And th there was a big school of movement uh, for years that you, you looked back and you unpacked it and you unpacked it and you kind of went over and over it. And, and, and dealt with your feelings and that that has valid validity in some ways but actually if you stay living in the thing that was wrong your brain focuses on that and, and you don't or you, you can fail to move on now therapy is shifting to make sure you've dealt with the thing absolutely but then move on to what's next it's about what what's tomorrow and who you're going to be and the whole myriad of joyous experiences that await you. If you stay trapped in the negativity and keep going and over and over, then then that's where you'll live. You are what you think about the most. Um, and, yeah. and there's a. I was just going to say in the states, you know, people, you know, psychotherapists over there, psychiatrists want to keep their clients there for life. They want to keep them having to go back forever. And it's really a psychiatrist or a, a therapist should be trying to make themselves redundant as soon as possible. And that seems to be much more the approach these days, which is fantastic. So, um, yeah. Yeah, which, which uh, you know, again, is interesting because, you know, at the end of the day, it is a job for somebody and it does pay the money. So, you know, that there is that whole kind of issue in life, isn't there, I suppose. Um, but, you know, so so that was in your 30s that you decided to make that change and, and look at things. And then, you know, from from there, because you were working in finances, weren't you? You were working in yeah. financial. So, I mean, that is a, a totally, would you say that's kind of like a mindset world? What did that teach you as far as, you know, being a, a mindset coach now? I think it was a fabulous grounding because... Uh, as a financial advisor, um, you find out a lot about people and their financial goals and aspirations. And it's almost like an interview. So when someone wants to work out what you're trying to do, you, I would know more about individuals than their partners or hairdressers often did. Um, because, you know, it's quite important stuff. And I was I started to switch a little bit from just getting the financial detail to talk about other goals and aspirations that might complement them as individuals as I started to discover, you know, that within myself. And so it was a great grounding because I was very comfortable and people were always very great at sharing what they wanted with me. And so in a way, it was almost the best training I'd ever had because it was just a, a nuancing of what we now do to find out you know, what are your goals and aspirations for the future in, in a whole myriad of aspects of your life? And let's make sure that you're going towards those. And what was interesting was most of the goals people were setting were never their goals at all. They were somebody else's. They were parents' goals. They were friends' goals. They were what were assumed they wanted to be. And this is why we have such a disconnect, I think, as adults about whether we're happy and whether we're motivated and feeling like we're we're in a space we want to be in because we've accidentally had well-meaning people tell us we shouldn't be going for these things when actually we want something completely different. So that's a it was really interesting. You know, we don't all want to drive Ferraris and climb mountains and be multi-billionaires. You know, many of us do want those things, obviously, but um, we, you know, you what are your goals? It's about what does success mean to you as an individual? And the grounding I had in financial services, I think, was really helpful. 
So, I mean, you know, in, in this day and age, with, with coaching in general, isn't it? A lot of people are talking about the why. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I think why is really important. Uh, and also, I've, I kind of, I love the whole coaching arena. And I think it's full of really good, well-meaning stuff, but also a lot of kidology. Um, I, I say to people, that's why I went for the mindset piece, because... Um, the skills that you build around what you want out of life are really important. But the why, why is it you're doing something? What am, what am I for? You know, what's the point of me is a great question to ask ourselves. And then when you decide what your goals are, why are they your goals? So, for example, we might say, if I said, do you want to win the lottery? I think most people's answer is going to be yes. But actually, you probably don't. What we want is the financial freedom to live the lifestyle, to be more in control of who we are and where we're going, is usually what most people want. Is it nice to have a cool car, boat, house? And yeah, it's all right. Will that really change your life? Nah, of course not. It's what, what fundamentally changes who we are and really gets us fired up and motivated is stuff that gives us joy as opposed to pleasure really enriches us inside so that's why why i think is really exciting you've set a load of goals why what's the point of all those goals and why why do you get up every morning what do you bring to the world and what makes you just shine think oh today's going to be a great day because i'm going to do all this great stuff that i'm adding value to stuff around me and me and then build on that and and then see how the goals fit that as opposed to the other way around does that make sense yeah, of course it makes sense completely. I, you know, I, I, I think we've kind of talked about this before. I mean, I, I'm completely on your wavelength as far as that is concerned because you know I think you you should be setting goals. You should be going out there to serve people and you know do what you can if you can make a difference in life or if you can make a difference to just one person by hearing this podcast. It's a win-win situation, and I think that's what. You know, people need to take on board, don't they? Yeah, I I think the biggest shock for me was I didn't know I had influence over my future. You know, we're often taught, well, you know, I'm this personality or or that's the way I am. And certainly you get to a certain age and think, well, this is who I am and that's my stuff. That's nonsense. We are no different to to your laptop or your 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 PC or whatever, that actually you've put a load of programs and learned behaviours on there which makes you who you are right now and it makes you think the way you are. If you're not happy with most of that, then you just delete those programs and put fresh ones on. And you can do that at any time in your life. It's a myth, I think, we're brought up with that we have to be a certain way because of our parenting or genetics or, or education or environment. Absolute nonsense. Whoever's listening to this right now, if you're not 100% joyous about your personality and, and who you are and how you, how, you, how you feel you're seen by others, then change it. Can you change it? 100%. There is, there is, as long as you've got you know, all the wiring and everything's connected together in, like most of us are, everyone can make that change. It's, it's then knowing how to go about it, which is so exciting. But yeah, don't, don't settle for anything less than joyous. Yeah, that sounds good to me. I love that idea. So, Marcus, when exactly was it? It was, it was about five years ago, wasn't it, that you actually got into being Marcus Thomason, the mindset coach? 
Well, it's sort of gone in stages. So it started off about, gosh, nearly 20 years ago was when I started dipping my toe in and going on this stuff for myself. Mm. I then brought it into the business. Then I went, then I had a mad couple of years where I took time out of my life, not knowing who I was, um, not really knowing where I wanted to be, having, and, and it meant I had to change who I was, my marriage, my everything. Um, I, I use the old George Best quote that it'll be 12 years ago now. Uh, I spent everything I'd ever earned on wine, women and song and the rest I wasted in one year. <laughs> well, I kind of mean that. I really had to go through this whole epiphany. I, I, I suggest you don't do that, by the way. You don't have to do that to find yourself. Oh, and you're, because... you're, you're safe here, yeah? <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. Keep, keep the money. Don't give it all up. There's so many better ways. But it was the way I chose at the time. And so when I kind of said, right, well, I want to get into this, it was a slow journey, lots of self-doubt, lots of how can I, because I'd, I'd had a pretty, pretty rough old time of it in many ways. And it was little steps of, of changing my whole friend circle, moving to, and then to really embrace this and thinking, hang on, no, I can really achieve anything I want. I've, I've read all this stuff. Let's make it reality. So I, I really sort of 12 years ago started that journey and it's got better and better. I took a few contracts, consulting, got some great, uh, you know, I was, I was the maritime operations director during the Olympics. How mad was that? And that was just unthinkable only a few years beforehand. And then roughly about five years ago, everything I'd kind of been learning, I said, right, I want to go out completely on my own. I put my own thoughts and process together, take the best bits of all the other um, courses I've ever done, you know, the Tony Robbins, Zig Ziglar, um, listen to great podcasters like uh, Tim Ferriss. Uh, you know, I take up half of the podcast by listing stuff. So it's not, I did this on my own. Yeah. I had so much help from so many sources to then say, do you know what? I'm, I'm good enough now. I'm, I'm not the best, but I'm good enough, confident enough that I'm going to live and be the change. And, and it just gets better all the time. So, Every, every few months, I'm kind of ratcheting up the possibility of attracting incredible things into my life. And so for me, for example, lockdown was the most profitable, busy um, 12 months of my life where I felt I was able to add the most value. Uh, and, and for all my clients, you know, we've lived in a different world because we looked at what changed. We were able to adapt and make the best of what's there. So many people didn't have that choice or ability. So um, that's just one example of, of, of how it can help. Yeah, absolutely. No, I couldn't agree more. And it, there does seem to be two camps between, you know, the, the lockdown situation as well and, and the fact that you've done that and, you know, created a mindset for people to adapt and get through lockdown because let's face it as humans we you know we are naturally sociable creatures so to be then living in an environment where you're living you know with just your immediate well some people have been living on their own I mean that that yeah. must have been incredibly hard you know but but to to do that is is really quite quite something and and the fact that there does seem to have been two camps that have materialized there's the camp that you know, like you and I are in that have got on and, you know, for example, I started for the Now Media in September. So, yeah. you know, <laughs> from home, so out of TV into for the Now Media. But, you know, and then there's these other camps that, you know, have not really coped well or just felt that life has kind of stopped. Well, yeah. in actual fact, it hasn't, it didn't. 
No, absolutely. And I think it might be helpful for those people who lived in the in that space of, of, of fear and what have you. It's not their fault. This is the thing that I think is can be misconstrued that you know, sometimes you can go, well, they should have done this, they should have adapted. No, it's not their fault. Let's face it, the media, the governments, the whole world has handled this appallingly. The negative information that's been portrayed from so many different sources, um, no wonder people are going, ah, you know, it's just so hard. And, and they've been taught to go into fight or flight. In fact, our default position for a lot of people is to be frightened, is to be scared because the brain sees a perceived threat and it adopts a whole fight or flight and goes protect yourself and it will then look for as many things it thinks are a threat and put you into overwhelm and, 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 and wanting to hide and think everything's wrong. So, excuse me, um, there's a natural mechanism. I've got, I was eating nuts earlier, so I've just <laughs> got a bit of nut come onto my tooth Generally, so I can't speak. Generally, that's the pop broadcast of any description. No, I was at lunch, but anyway, there we go. Um, so yeah, the, it's, you know, I, I'd love people who have been in the more negative space to don't blame yourself. Don't even take that on board. It's kind of not your fault because the whole world has been really poor at how this is handled. Uh, you know, what it's done is put the world in fear. And you might say, well, it was a fearful thing. Well, that's a whole different thing. But we, we now, you know, 2000 years ago, we, we learned that illness was called by by stress and anxiety. It's why we called it disease. Break the word up, dis-ease. You know, that, it, it's, it's, it's how the whole world gets ill. The more under stress and anxiety and overwhelm we feel, the more likely we are to get ill. That's not a new thing. We know that to, to be the case. So, so not your fault. If you And you probably, no one's ever told you. No one ever told me. I didn't realise. You can actually change the way you think and say, hang on a minute, I've got a completely different way of approaching this. Yeah. Oh, but everything's going wrong. doesn't matter. It's not what happens to you. It's our response to what happens to us that causes stress. And the response is something over which you have control. And and that is a joyous thing that I learned um, at the beginning of all this because I was super stressed. Um, does it mean, by the way, I'm never stressed? No, of course not. I get stressed all the time. I just deal with it completely differently to how I used to deal with it. And it's gone in a second. I completely understand because, you know, if you, there's no point in being stressed, actually. Well, <laughs> there is no. actually no point in being stressed because it's not going to achieve anything. And it just yeah. makes the brain overthink it all, doesn't it, really? Yeah. And then what? You arrive at some crazy answer that really does not make sense. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'll challenge that a little bit by saying there are sometimes stress is great. If you're about to be eaten by a lion, stress is good. If you're about to be knocked over by a bus, you need to jump out of the way or hit by a car, stress is great. It's going to save your life. And, and, and so it does have a part to play. But unless it's something that's probably going to threaten your life, then stress is completely unhelpful. It doesn't add any value to what you're doing. You know, getting stuff done under stress. So we say, I work better under pressure. Do you know what? You don't. Because talk to the people who are the most successful on the planet and you will find out that's a complete myth. And I'd rather kind of emulate what they do and and, and have discovered that for myself, that, that stress is a debilitator. So, yeah, the, there's, there's a tiny little bit of negative stress uh, sorry, tiny little bit of stress which might save your life. We all need that. But actually, 99% of the stress that we give to ourselves by the way we think is never going to help. So choose what you do about it. 
you know, go out there, read books, seek out coaches, seek out positive people, mix with positive people, and learn how this works. Learn how your brain processes information. And then all of a sudden you go, oh, why didn't anyone tell me that? That, that was the biggest revelation. When I went on my first course, I was like, why have I got to 30 <laughs> years of age and no one's explained to me that why I talk myself into nonsense so much of my life? And so uh, that's available to everyone. So seek it out and you can absolutely change uh, everything about the stress in your life. Fantastic. That sounds really good to me. So that that's really positive. And um, what, what do you do if you find a negative person then? I, uh, there's so many things you can do. So, so it sounds like a bad joke, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. Well, I, I, I repeat this story. I told it, I, I was privileged to be at uh, one of the last real conferences I did. It was the uh, Women in Project Management conference, uh, about 600 people. And th this analogy I was really, happened to me early on. I, I heard this story uh, from Zig Ziglar and then beautifully it happened to me so I could tell it my own version as well. And I was at a, a small talk ages ago and somebody said, oh, I need to introduce you to this lady. She hates her job, doesn't like anything she does, needs to change her life. She's such a negative person. Can you help her? And she came to me just before I was about to go and give a talk. And she said, oh, this is wrong, that's wrong, that's the other's wrong. And she was a huge lady, a tall, big, kind of very dominant-looking person. And I said, well, look, you know, I'm kind of, I can't do a therapy session. You know, it's, it's not therapy. I can kind of try and coach you. I said, let's... Give me a minute. I said, tell me about your job. You said that you like nothing about the job. Everyone's really negative in your workplace. Yada, yada. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Do you get paid for what you do? She went, yeah, of course I get paid. Uh, I said, well, do you get paid well? Is it really poorly? What have you? Oh, no, I get quite well paid. I'm better paid than most of the people I know, actually. She was quite proud of it. Okay, okay, right. Fair enough. I said, do you get holidays? She went, yeah, I get holidays. I said, do you get like a week or more? Oh, no, no. I get more holidays than all my friends. I get a, like, you know, so, oh, that's nice. I said, well, that's two things. A minute ago, everything was horrible. You've already told me two things. What else? What about the working environment, the, the place you work? Is it a dingy little corner office and you can't see anything? Oh, no, it's really nice. It's quite open plan. I've got this and, the, and they change the plants every week. I said, so that's three things. I said, do me a favour. Go back to your office. Write down everything that's good. Forget what you don't like. Everything you like about your job. And then write one nice thing about all the people in your office. Forget what you think of them. Just one nice thing about every single one. Look at that list and read it before you go to work every day. Let me know how you get on. Anyway, she's at a networking event. It was about eight weeks later or something like that. And I'll never forget. She came almost running over to me. She said, Marcus, Marcus, I did what you said. And you'll never believe it. Everyone in the office has changed. I was just joyous. You know. It was just an absolute joy to, you know, for her to kind of miss the point a little bit and then suddenly get the point. She, you know, obviously she changed, and it's about how we view it. So, how do you turn negative people? Well, for a start, help them focus on it. If someone's really negative around you, um, I sometimes imagine I've got a force field. I, I imagine I'm, I'm like in Star Trek or some sci-fi film. And I press a button on my belt. I've got this special button on my belt. And it puts the force field. And then when they, whatever they're saying negative, I see the negative words bouncing off and ricocheting like imaginary bullets. And it can't touch me. And sometimes I laugh because I find it really funny when I hear a word going ding, ding, ding around the room. They go, what are you laughing at? And I go, oh, no, I'm just thinking about something that happened earlier today. So I won't be rude to them. But there are so many little tricks. And then say, tell me a really good story about something that's happened to you recently. 
because I don't care who you if you got up this morning you know you could have been dead so so if anyone ever gives you oh, there's nothing good that's happened to me don't take that that's not true you know the fact that they're alive and they're walking and talking to you some people didn't get up this morning because they're dead if you want to be really blunt you know so help them start to look at the stuff that's good because we are what we think about the most for whatever reason negative people have given an instruction to their brain that says look at all the bad stuff and the brain goes oh i know what you want you want to look at bad stuff i'll create this world of negativity for you because the brain doesn't judge it just goes out and gets what you want of it yeah. alternatively people in the positive space are constantly going hey what's good in my world this is what i want brain i need you on board they're self-talking all the time about what they want not what they don't want so whatever you self-talk the most wins and it's it sounds so simple simple so it's simple no i i understand that i mean there are days that you know we we've all had in our lives when you know because that's what life is it's it's uh, an interesting journey isn't it let's put it that way and yeah. it, you will have days that are sad days bad days you know perhaps not the best days but it's how you kind of deal with those days don't you really and how you just don't let them take over your life isn't it really yeah you, you can acknowledge the reality when there are sad things i think the only exception i generally say is bereavement if, if you hit a bereavement you know do what you need to do but everything else you've got a choice about you know you lose your job well did you really was that the dream job of all time did it enrich you did you go bouncing into work every single day of oh this is my life i love being here Chances are, if you've lost it, probably not. Chances are you were maybe looking for something else anyway and you just needed that spur on to get it. Mm -hmm. So you can turn it round into being the best story. And some people go, oh, yeah, but that's fake. It's not real. It's not true. Well, so your choice is you look at the negative and make it the worst you possibly can. What's that going to do for you? Nothing. It's going to put you into a negative state. Just say to your brain, hang on. No, I need to be in a better state because I now need to go to something else. So I'm going to take the best information and realize I'm incredibly capable. I could find a job with more money. I could find something that's much more enriching and enjoyous. So, and that at least gives you a chance of being attractive to the people who might be offering you your next job. So it's all about choice. Yeah. Definitely. I, I agree with you. I, I love that kind of mindset. But, you know, it, as I said, people do go through some tough times. And, you know, it, it's just about how you deal with it, isn't it, really? Bottom line. Yeah. I, I think the acknowledge the reality by all means. But if you stay in the, in the tough times, I'll give you an example. We all know people who just seem to attract negativity. Stuff goes wrong for them all the time. They often, in my experience, it's never their fault. It's always circumstances beyond their control. And there are other people who just seem just everything they do turns, you know, to gold sort of thing. Uh, now, so what's the difference? And and whenever I've studied this, and, and I've read so many about so many people, it is about what we're giving out, the attitude of what we focus on the most. And some people don't want to hear this, but actually, when we're in a state of negativity, we will attract more negativity by thinking that. Because the brain, it sort of sets its radar that this is what you're wanting to be in. If you stay in that state and don't try and boost yourself out of it by saying, no, I need you to take me somewhere better and think about something better that's helpful, then you'll continue to be in it. 
it's not about saying, oh, well, you know, I, I live in this fake, super positive world all the time. Well, it eventually becomes real because that's the world you live in. That, yeah. you know, 80, 90, 95% of the time, you are in a place which is really good. Is it 100%? I've never met anyone for whom it's 100%. That's, that's a fallacy. Of course, stuff goes wrong. But the yeah. choice we have is we either sit there and tell everyone all about what's gone wrong and ourselves for days and weeks on end, or we go, oh, my God, something awful's really happened. What's the best I can make of this? And that's, that is the difference. So absolutely acknowledge your reality, stuff happens, but, but choose to attract in the future stuff that you want. Get your brain seeking out what is it you want, not what you don't want. We are what we think about the most. Well, th those are the words, aren't they? So yeah, you, you've heard it here first with Marcus, definitely. So um, also, just before we kind of like wrap things up, you have actually been on a peace conference, haven't you? You now work with the United Nations. Oh, I, that's, um, I, I wish that were true. I don't quite work with the United Nations, but I, you're right. I was privileged enough to be asked. To, so I try and do some stuff. I've done a lot of third sector stuff, fundraising, charity stuff. Mm. And back end of 2019, I was privileged to be asked to go and speak at a, an international uh, conference on human rights, peace conference, uh, in Karachi, in Pakistan, uh, which was a fabulous experience. And I was asked to bring kind of the mindset perspective to to how we can take a different approach to uh, how we treat each other, essentially. And and I was privileged to get to work with um, Lord Wasn't Duncan. Wasn't through the UN, though? Well, it was through the CPSD, the Centre uh, Center for Peace and uh, Developmental Studies, um, I was recommended by a guy called Keith Maidley, MBE, fabulous guy, Mr. Yorkshire, uh, who'd heard me speak, and um, it, it was a, an international peace conference. But the it, part of it was all about the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Right. Now, for those we've all we talk about, oh my human rights. Many people have never read the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, which is one of the most well thought out, powerful, helpful documents that the planet has ever seen. And so part of the agenda was to help get this taught in schools um, throughout places like uh, Pakistan so that they can change the image. Because a lot of people are saying, well, they have terrorist camps and this, that and the other. And, and they, they acknowledge the reality of that. But it's, it's, it's so different to what the media might portray it as. And they've invested in educating school children throughout Pakistan on the Declaration of Universal Declaration of Human Rights, because it's a great leveler. It's completely independent of so many other external systems like religion or social and economic systems, um, and it's solving so many problems globally. So I feel very privileged to be part of that campaign. Um, and uh, Duncan McNair's got this great uh, website, uh, Peaceful Planet, which is he's on a mission to educate the world, and I'm I'm, I'm a very small part of that as well. Um, I think the real message there is again if you if you read that it's a great document about what we want and what we should be aspiring to wars have been ended by using this sadly lockdown broke a lot of the rules and the approach on the planet which is why we're all maybe you know it was designed to stop things like that and that's a whole political discussion for another day yeah but you know because we should never be forced into certain things like taking 
uh, forced medical care because there's a very sinister aspect behind it. Anyway, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. Um, but it's a hugely powerful document. I was privileged to be on stage with the president and uh, prime minister of Pakistan and some other very worthy people oh and, and be able to contribute on, on the world stage that contextual that that context of uh, the mindset of wow if we all use that as a blueprint of how we uh, interact it's it's hopefully going to be introduced to be uh, fight knife crime in London it, it's the, that's that's a really kind of great example of how it can be used in in social situations yeah I mean I think that that is something that has become completely rife hasn't it knife crime I mean it's certainly my days of covering um you know local reporting across the Thames Valley I mean you know just recently I, it's, it's been quite a national case um a 14 year old boy Ollie Stevens was was murdered by two other boys that that can't be named but teenagers you know so yeah. um and that that is a mindset in itself isn't it you know that absolutely that really is that you know that that carrying a knife is some sort of power that you know it's it's um something that is a status that makes you i don't know a bigger person i i, I don't i can't i can't get it be even begin to get into the mindset how you could think that you know it would be your position in life to take another person's life i mean that that's just dreadful isn't it well it, it is uh, and unfortunately i can see how because at that age that the whole process of the people who are often affected by by knife crime and, and gang culture um it's because they're groomed sadly from a young age usually by people who then want to take them into crime related activities uh, it's it's a horrible process to me it's it's almost like it's the same process that pedophiles use you know that the gang senior gang members use the same grooming techniques to brainwash young men in the main but sometimes women to thinking they have to create this this status within them which means they have to be cool they've got their badge of honor they they cannot you know if they're not the ones who are king of the hill um it's it's about a spreading of fear culture and it's a very clever tactic um, because you're you're talking to an impressionable young often male who wants to know how to be an alpha male and and so it's very easy to tap into but it's a very sinister kind of process and it's hard to combat and, uh, and I spoke to somebody you know I thought well, if, if we classed sort of certain gangsters in the same sort of group you, you know category as pedophiles we'd have a very different outlook on it well, the you know the the processes and the mindsets and the brainwashing techniques and the grooming techniques are the same. Um, yeah. Go on beyond that and say, well, what can you do about it? The, something like the Universal Declaration of Human Rights is a great leveler because it starts to look at things from a different perspective. Now, mine's far greater than mine. You know, I'm I'm not really qualified to 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 speak at a level about this, but I having having grown up in a little tiny bit of that culture myself. Um, I can see how easy it is to get sucked into that. And again, it's not necessarily their fault because they're being brainwashed by by very unsavoury people into thinking that's the only way. And you will hear people, you know, young young people go, well, it's the way you've got to live. It's the way it is these days, isn't it? 
No, it's the way you've all chosen because other people have chosen it for you to brainwash you into thinking that's how you've got to be. The, the way it is, is shine as a human being. It's much harder to shine and walk away from that than it is to become part of the pack. And, and that's, that's the message that it would be joyous to get to. And, and there are so many great inner city projects which give people hope around these are other things you can be doing with your life. And I think, you know, these, these multifaceted approaches about, um, you know, youth intervention, which sadly were all cut by, doesn't matter which the government is, but they've been cut back beyond belief. They should be funded. You know, there was this whole, um, you know, explosion of gangland crime, which was predicted by every youth leader 10 years ago when Theresa May, because mm-hmm. she happened to be the one who cut the funding for so many youth projects, they all said, do you know what's going to happen in 10 years' time? Crime, and especially knife crime, and disenfranchised youth is going to go off the charts. And then, of course, because they didn't make that small, relatively small investment, they're now trying to pick up the pieces. So there's a, there's a lot of common sense needs to be applied in these situations. But you're right, it's, you know, getting back to the mindset piece, if, if they were shown there is an alternative way, then I think that that's that's the mission for all of us to say no that isn't the norm having to behave like that is the exception not the rule behaving like a joyous and wonderful human being is the norm um i've got a quick double mantra for anyone uh if you want to really boil it down to and forgive my blunt speaking here it's be kind and don't be a dick so whatever you're about to do next are you being kind great are you being a dick then don't do it and it's that simple and, and, and I think, you know, if you, if you really want to just boil it down to some simple ways of being, let's just be more kind to each other and, and not be unpleasant to each other. And that's a great starting point. And I think that's a great mantra as well that, that definitely reaches the youth of today. I mean, you and I are old school and we, you know, love language and love to really talk. But I think, you know, that those, those two statements, short statements, you could WhatsApp in a, a message, couldn't you? Or, you know, any, anything like that. And I think that's that's the youth's mindset today, isn't it? it it's as many as like two words that can instigate an action. Well, yeah, and I, I think they're all far more intelligent than we give them credit for. We, we say that they're the soundbite generation. I was privileged to be at a... A, a next generation family business meeting um, about what what young people are looking for in their jobs, and they were talking. They're talking about things like corporate responsibility, social governance, and stuff that I I never thought of. You know, back in the day, no. I'm very involved in it now. But actually, it's what it's as important about what can we do for other people because when when we're disassociated and and, and you know the media and I I don't even like to say the media because it's elements of the media you know there's great media but but the the common pop culture media the the gutter press as we used to refer to them in my day all they want to do is drive division between whatever sector it is men and women uh, race age sex sexuality they're just constantly on a mission to go oh you're you're not in our club let's let's have loads of division and, and, well, and that's how they sell media it is sadly and and we buy into that because we think we see so much of it's constantly poured on us you know even now we've got masks not masks we've got brexit you know we have brexit not brexit we never said hang on a minute 
none of us know the whole thing's a lie. Can we have some truth? We just went straight into two camps. You were either correct if you were a Brexit or, cor or correct if you were a non-Brexit. I don't care what you think's correct. We just, we didn't go, why aren't you telling us the truth? We, we've become a real polarised society. Yeah. Um, and, and I think, and it's happening. E even positive movements like Black Lives Matter have already been hijacked for the wrong reasons in so many different directions. Even saying, you know, equality for women. What is the biggest nonsense ever? What does that even mean? Because if you start equality, fairness, justice, absolutely brilliant. But when you get people banging on about equality, it, it's a, it's a non, it's an, a, a myth. It's and we go, oh, that's not equal. Oh, it's a non-starter. It, it kind of, it, it, uh, you're right, it divides, doesn't it? Then you've got yeah. men and women in two different camps. And that's mm. really not what it's about, is it? it? It's about, you know, dealing with the situation. Um, as You're right, so that there's more fairness or there's justice for women. Or, yeah, it's know. creating an, a, a, a harmonious society mm. uh, as opposed to equal because... Um, I, I, I studied this, again, we maybe go over tangent here, but I, I, I was really confused for a long time. 1981, I went on a, a Equal Rights for Women march because, if I'm really honest, I fancied the girl who invited me. You know, it's a lot of years ago. <laughs> but also I thought, well, yeah, of course. Why do, why? It was more about equal pay, and I didn't really fully understand it, but I just thought, why on earth don't... Why does your gender have any influence on pay? But that was in 1981. Then about... 15 years after that, there was a whole resurgence of it. I thought, didn't we fix that? Why on earth has it not been fixed? And then in the last few years, it's here again, and it's still not been fixed. So why is it, why are we still having this same battle nearly 40 years on why has not much changed? And I think, for me, the reason not much has changed is because we're aspiring for a thing that does not exist. And, and that's not about it's not about, oh, for, you know, if anyone thinks my message here is that um, somehow a, you know, a gender should have any bias on your pay, you've so missed my point. My point is that as a human being, are you in harmony and having all the opportunities as the, all of the human beings, irrespective of any of the differentiators between us, then that's where it gets us on the right track. It's when you keep dividing. In fact, there's a great book, Mindset by Carol Dweck. If you read one book after hearing this podcast, read Mindset by Carol Dweck. And she, she goes into the, how we accidentally program our children incorrectly to look at division. It's fascinating. And we think we're doing the right thing. Mm. Um, quick, quick example. Uh, you're my daughter, okay, and you're, you're five. And I go, oh, good girl or bad girl, all right? Well, we do that all the time, but how on earth, if I'm say, hang on a minute, that's good behavior or bad behavior is a very different thing. Mm. It's about the programming. We are thinking about, if I keep telling you you're a bad girl, you're a bad girl, bad girl, bad boy, bad boy, bad boy. Then you'll end up being a bad person, yeah. It, it's, it, it, it sounds oversimplistic, but it's about the programming and again, yeah. what you think. So oh, I'm a bad boy, so I'm gonna be a bad boy. Yeah. I'm a bad girl, I'm gonna be a bad boy. And, and so, back to the whole hang on how are we in harmony what are the messaging that we're doing how how do we be beautiful human beings to each other and and how you shine is irrespective of your sex your gender your age your race how you dress which is where we were 2000 years ago the greeks were so all over this 
You know, they were yeah. so all over a, a very integrated society, which was harmonious. It wasn't ever equal because, you know, back in those days, you know, that women usually own property for very good reasons. Because no one usually went off fighting or lost it or gambling, so it was stupid. Or they went off to a war and died, and then so it was made much more sense for women to be the ownerships and the managers of the money. Very sensible use of time. Yeah, you know, so it wasn't about one was better than the other. It was about wow, that was great. I, you know, great relationships, harmonious relationships that work, and that's where we want to be. If we if we're dividing anything and saying, oh, you are because all men are, all women are, all whatevers are. Oh, move on! You're stuck in a an ancient place. That's that's so old, old, really negative program thinking. Because they're not. Who are you? What are you as an individual? Why do you shine as a person? And how can you be kind and joyous and help other people shine around you? That is a, a, a for me a great place to be. Yeah, definitely. I, I like that. I think you know it is about finding your own personal shine as well and. You're absolutely right. I mean, thanks for highlighting that because, you know, you have actually made it clear that, you know, actually there isn't all this divide, that this divide has kind of been created and all this whole mindset has been created. Yeah. And, you know, who knows where we really are? And it's it's like, you know, the, the, the current situation that we're living in with the pandemic. Yes, it's bad. Coronavirus is bad. It is serious. You should have a vaccination. I will say that. However, you know, you do find ways to adapt and live with it. You know, and that seems to be the way that we're moving forward now. Finally, we're actually realising or the governments are realising that we've got to live with this. So in order to live with this, we've got to, you know, find ways of getting around it. Yeah, it, it's a tricky old chestnut, and I, I'm not really qualified to comment, but, but one thing I never understood was why for the first six, seven months of all this, I, I listened to the World Health, Health Organization's uh, take on this rather than government's take on it, because I thought probably the, the most qualified people on the planet are the ones to listen to um, who've had these plans in place. And, and so for the first seven months, they were saying, whatever you do, don't lock down. Last resort use it sparingly, maybe for seven to ten days at a time, and they listed all the reasons why it was the most appalling thing to do, and it would cause much more long-term problems. Governments, for whatever reason, refused to listen to that, and eventually, after about seven or eight months, even the World Health Organization decided to change their tack. I don't know what happened to us medically as a species that they would change that. I've really no idea. But everything they predicted in those first six, seven months is now coming true. And I think we know the truth is that it was... a impossible for politicians to make the decisions and impose what they should have done because nobody would accept it because if essentially what they would have to have said were unfortunately the old and infirm and unhealthy are going to die and the rest of you will be a bit ill but we won't really harm society or the alternative is we create whole we save those people by locking down and we create a um a whole host of long-term, possibly lifelong problems around mental health for a generation, which is the better one, which is the easier pill to swallow, well, probably the second one. So there's no judgment of, of the lead. I, I'm not judging because I couldn't have ever done that. But this yeah. is these are things we can't, we don't sort of, we get to the bottom of. We're, we're polarised of one is definitely right and one is definitely wrong. And that's not the case. So bringing it back to what what can we do? We Be kind. 
No, first thing, are you being kind? To yourself, by the way, number one person to be kind to is you. Be kind to yourself, be kind to everyone around you, and then, you know, don't be a dick and focus on we are what we think about the most. So if you think about the good, positive, what we can do. Do you know what? There's, there's probably a billion acts of kindness every minute of every day. Every a billion are still yeah. happening. Yeah, brilliant. And we forget that. You know, you know I, I, I shouldn't forget that because that that's a really positive thing that, you know, that is humanity in it, its best, fullest form, isn't it, really? Yeah. You walk down the street, there's people, you know, even the tiny things of I, I live in a place, um, Brighton and Hove. Um, I've never known a place where so many people stop to let you cross the road. Admittedly, I've often got a baby and bring the pram in front of me. So that's the thing. But just those little moments of the smile between you, you know, that happens for you know, a thousand times a day all across the country as opposed to. So isn't that a joyous little moment or somebody stops and has a conversation in the street and spends time with somebody? You know, there is a billion acts of kindness every minute. We just see the small condensed bits of the news, which focuses entirely on the negative stuff. So just take a moment to reflect about how many wondrous and joyous people there are. You just look at your own life of actually how many people smile or are nice to you or are trying to do something from other people. You know, we read about, you know, from key workers to someone carrying someone shopping. There is joy and hope and wonder on this planet every second of the day. Maybe remember that when you're watching the news. That's a really good thing to say, definitely. So you haven't written a book yet, but you are now doing a podcast, aren't you? So I'm, I'm on with the book. I, I need to set some time around to finish it. Yeah, um, it's, it's working title is The Mindset Code, and it's a mixture of kind of my life experiences and how I was able to, you know, what techniques I was able to use to turn my life around. So um, I'm, I'm still on with that. We're just about to launch the Mindset Revolution podcast, um, which we're doing the, the first test um, test piece next week, uh, uh, of which you're you're going to help, I believe. So, uh, you know, yeah, or, or, and certainly hopefully be part of. Yeah, I, I just want to get the message out there to help people realize they've got more influence over how they feel than they ever might have thought. So I just want to, you know, my biggest, my biggest why is helping more people that know that because I was ignorant of it for the first 30 years of my life. And it, and it even took probably another 10 years for me to kind of, is that really true? Oh, I don't know, let me keep trying it. Um, so yeah, I just want to, want to share the message. Like you say, if, if, if it changed the life of one person a day, brilliant. If it changed the life of more people, even better. Fantastic. Well, Marcus, thank you for being my guest on, on the Tea Time sofa. Thank you for and, asking. Um, yeah, it's lovely to see you and we'll catch up again soon. Okay, Bye. thanks, Ali. Have a great rest of your day. Look forward to chatting with my next guest on the Tea Time Sofa this time next Saturday. In the meantime, if you would love to get in touch about having a chat with me, you can reach me on tea time at forthenow.co.uk or you can find me on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram on Tea Time with AM. Bye for now.